The OAM Network is a Memphis-based podcast network connecting communities inside Memphis to the rest of the world for a nominal fee. By offering our services for less, we are able to give individuals a platform to share their ideas, experiences, and thoughts. With the community in mind, we are gladly accepting a partnership with Church Health and moving our small operation into a big space, the newly renovated Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. We are holding a silent auction of Memphis-based businesses at Memphis Made Brewery in order to raise funds for the new equipment in the new studio. To be frank, our mics, cables, and soundboard have seen better days. Our vision is to be able to incorporate more podcasts into our network and build up the community surrounding it. We will also be doing live short versions of a few of our podcasts for your entertainment. This will include the permanent record with special guest Woody C. Thomas. It's a Just City podcast. You Look Like, a comedy show recently picked up by Craig Brewer, The Game Show, a show about games and other ridiculous banter, and our friend Eric C. will be showing off his mad skills during Drink and Draw, which is not a podcast because drinking and drawing doesn't translate to audio well, but is fun nonetheless. We will also be launching our new Power to the Podcast t-shirts that night. So come by, drop a donation, check out the great local items up for auction, and drink a beer with your favorite podcast hosts. We do realize that not all of our listeners can make it out to this event. After all, there's 240,000 of you. However, if you wish to donate, you may do so via PayPal at oammemphis at gmail.com. If you would like to donate a gift to the silent auction, please email Carla at theoamnetwork.com. This event is being held Thursday, June 22nd from 7 to 10 p.m. at Memphis Made Brewing, 768 South Cooper Street. If you are interested in buying a Power to the Podcast t-shirt but are not located in Memphis, have no fear. Starting June 22nd, the t-shirts will also be available online at theoamnetwork.com. We hope to see you there. Network.com. Power to the podcast. This is Josh Spickler, Executive Director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. You're listening to The Permanent Record, a podcast about the justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. This week, we're going to talk to Chelsea Capus. Chelsea is headed to law school this fall. She's been with Just City and the Shelby County Public Defender's Office for about a year. She is our Clean Slate Fund associate. So more than anyone that I know of uh, in the state of Tennessee, frankly, uh, Chelsea has handled expungement after expungement after expungement. Unfortunately, most of the people Chelsea talks to uh, have to be told they don't qualify, but She's certainly told more than her fair share of people that they do. Her work is critical to the mission of Just City, and it helped us change the law this year with regard to expungement fees. So it's great to have Chelsea in the studio. Welcome, Chelsea. As uh, you know more than anyone, uh, expungement is the act of permanently clearing... I feel funny explaining this to you, Chelsea. Um, <laughs> It's the act of permanently clearing a criminal record, uh, and it's where the name of our podcast come from. comes from, the mm-hmm. permanent record, because that's what we're doing. We're racing permanent records, which yeah. is great, and you've done more of that uh, than just about anyone I know. 
Uh, and you also know that because of the work you've been doing, we were able to uh, lower the fee this year with Ramesh Ackberry and others in, in Nashville. Uh, some cost two eighty now, some still cost four fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's all happened here recently. So let's start at the beginning and talk to us about how Chelsea Capus came to be the Clean Slate Fund associate at Just City. <laughs> all right. Um, I decided to do a year of service through the Episcopal Service Corps, um, kind of like AmeriCorps, but with a um, religious component. And that's how I got plugged into Memphis. Um, There is an opportunity. There was an opportunity to come here and to work in the public defender's office and to work with Just City for a year. Um, And that is how I first heard about Just City and the work being done here in Memphis. So at this point, we should give a shout out to Broderick Greer. Yeah. Why? He is the director of the Episcopal Service Corps program in Memphis and a um, priest at Grace St. Luke's Episcopal Church. Right. So you've been working with Broderick for the Mm -hmm. last year and uh, others are in this program. It wasn't a big cohort this year, though, was it? No, we had um, one person at Bridges in Memphis and another at MIFA. And we had you at Just City and the Public Defender's Office. What kind of work did you do at the Public Defender's Office? Um, I've done a lot of different things. I started out sitting in the courtroom uh, down in Division 9 General Sessions, uh, helping the public defenders that are assigned to that courtroom uh, open files and uh, prepare different kinds of paperwork that they need to file. Um, they have lots of clients coming in and out, so I was Helping Were manage you, that. Sorry to inter- interrupt you. No. Was that your first experience with being in a, in a big urban courtroom? Yes. And w- what was the takeaway from that? I, that's really fascinating. I've been working in these courtrooms my entire adult career, and I re- don't remember what it felt like to see all that <laughs> happening. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, I, I kind of captured that experience when I was preparing uh, law school um, personal statements and things like that. It was shocking for me. Um, in what ways? I, I basically just found myself sitting in a room crowded of people. Um, and it was mostly black men. Um, and there was a judge who had a little bit of a condescending tone and I was totally unfamiliar with that. Um, just how any any judge talks to a, an, a, a, an offender, um, it just struck me. Uh, it was very a very stark contrast from coming up from the Northeast um, down to Memphis, and there's this clear racial divide in the courtroom. I would say. And you didn't? Did you get to interact much with clients at the public defender's office? Yeah. Um, when I first started out, and I was down in the courtroom, I was helping people, um, I was answering questions because public defender, defenders can't be uh, everywhere at once. So sometimes people would say, hey, where, where'd she go? Or um, what, do, what do I need to do next? Um, so I would help in that capacity. But I've also done a lot of um, following up with clients after they're in court and calling them and making sure they have paperwork they need um, yeah. to get their license reinstated or um, get an expungement order for their files, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the clean slate fund because uh, I'm the executive director at just city, (laughs) but, uh, but I also want to know you worked on a project right 
just a few weeks ago with the public defender's office where um, some public defenders, and I think you too, used public transit to try to get from place to place, uh, from places where your clients go. Tell us about that project and what it was like. Yeah, that was um, Assistant Public Defender Kelly Pretzer's idea, and it was my job to execute that idea and to bring it to life, um, to coordinate the sites that we would visit and to figure out the bus routes that would get us there and what time they left and um, how that all would fit together. And it all went just as planned, right? (laughs) It did not. Um, (laughs) Just from the get-go, we were waiting at outside of 201 Poplar for the bus. And I think it was late, but we were worried that we had missed it or um, the one coming the opposite direction of the the way we needed to go was coming. And so we thought, we'll just get on that one Um, because we were already – it was already late. Um, We ended up losing time because that bus had to go to the the main station and – start over so from the very beginning you're behind schedule and you <laughs> caught up because right no you didn't catch up <laughs> um we were late to our first meeting my group was uh, we had three groups go out with different schedules my group ended up making it everywhere we needed to go relatively on time um but we had to cut our first visit short to make up um to get back on schedule which clearly clients would not have the luxury of doing um if they needed to make appointments um the other two groups were very, very late, hours late. Wow. So. Well, and they always say that living in poverty requires so much more energy and capacity. And I mm-hmm. guess you guys learned that firsthand. Yeah. Using the public transit system just sounds like drained you of, of energy and you were still mm-hmm. late. Yeah. Fascinating. That's a, a Anything more about that experience? or? It was... Um, it was a good experience because most people that I work with on a daily basis do not rely on public yeah. transportation. And that is an important thing to understand about someone's life if you're going to be That's serving right. them. Empathy. Extremely powerful. Speaking of empathy, people with criminal records often yeah. can't get work, callbacks, promotions, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes apartments, um, loans for education. Uh, and the work of the Clean Slate Fund that uh, you inherited about a year ago mm-hmm. is to help people get to a place where they can, where they can walk into that job interview and say, um, say no, I have no criminal conviction. Walk us through that process um, from start to finish. So what, what, how do you find people? How do we, I guess, yeah. not pretend that I don't know some of this, but how does <laughs> Just City find its clients for the Clean Slate Fund? Clients come to us in a variety of ways. Um, we get referrals from the public defender's office and the clerk's office. Uh, those people usually are already eligible since those offices have determined that those will be good candidates for expungement. Um, we also have people that just hear about us word of mouth or on TV uh, from friends who have had a good experience with us. And they usually will go on our website and fill out an intake form so that we can get some of their information and get back to them. Um we have a lot of people call in, um, and we usually direct them to the website since it's a good way to keep track of everyone. Um, right, right. Yeah. Not a lot of people qualify. Not um, a lot of people qualify. If we get 100 calls, what would you say? Two, maybe three people make it through all the way to the end and get an expungement? That's probably a good estimate. We got something around 50 inquiries uh, probably in the last two months that I've been here. We had a lot of 
um, media around the Clean Slate Fund that got us a lot of attention, um, probably only five people are initially eligible out of that group. So you have to communicate to a lot of people either on the telephone or with an email that they do not qualify and that these frustrations um, will continue in their lives. And some people have multiple convictions and they're not close to qualifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, as, as it's been my experience working with you, that, that a lot of people are very close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but I don't have those conversations anymore. Tell me about that. What's it like having to tell most of the people that you talk with that you can't help them? It's tough. It, it certainly makes me feel powerless, um, but very um, will it like if I could help them, I would want to um, because these are people who are interested in getting back to work. Um, they they're ready to start over. They don't understand why um, why their record is holding them back in a way that they never imagined it would when they were in that circumstance. Um, it, it is it's tough to to communicate that the law does not provide um, a way out of this for you now. This You're stuck with this for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I hate to sound like a therapist, but how does that make you feel? It's frustrating. It makes me angry with um, not only our lawmakers, but with our communities and the way that we have marginalize these people, um, the way that employers will refuse to hire them, um, that people will get to a certain point in a job and they're ready to be hired. The the employer has determined that they are a good fit for their company or um, what have you. And the record is the only thing. And it's just this policy or this stigma that we've attached to a past mistake that is unforgivable. And so it it makes me angry um, because I can just see the cycle going forward of how they're not going to get that job that they that could have put them on a new path. They're going to continue to struggle and not have a lot of options. Right. It's very sad, Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, though, you do um, get to tell some people the opposite that, yes, I can help. And not only can I help, we have a fund that mm-hmm. when it when it has money in it can pay that expensive expungement fee. So what's what's that like? What's the most memorable moment maybe uh, telling a client or hearing back from a client who we were able to help? Hmm. The most memorable moment. I did get to be in the courtroom uh, with someone when the, the judge signed their expungement order. Um, it's usually a pretty quick process and not a lot of fanfare down in general sessions um, especially. But it was really nice to to meet the client and hand him a copy of his expungement order. And he he did have a job that was concerned about this case that we had just got expunged for him. So he was excited and ready to to take that copy of his expungement order to his employer and get started. So that was really memorable. Um, and, and it's so much of this is, is related to employment. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've experienced it when I used to do a lot more of this and almost without fail, it's about a job, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've just been thinking lately that a lot of times the jobs people are seeking are those jobs that give back to our community really directly as people that want to be firefighters or in the medical care field, um, behavioral health services, like 
these are the jobs that I hear these people seeking who are looking to start over and give back really yeah, directly. The military, I hear that a lot mm-hmm. too, to serve the country, and, and yet yeah. they're they're blocked out from that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fast, that's a good take. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, that people are trying trying to get back, and you see that mm-hmm. really. I've seen that throughout my experience in the criminal justice system. People who finally overcome want to help others overcome. Mm-hmm. So while while you've been here at Just City, we saw a law passed with the help of Ramesh Ackberry and a lot of other people, uh, a law that would reduce that expungement fee for certain expungements to $280, uh, which would make our fund go a lot further and other expungement fee funds go a lot further. Have you done one of those yet? We have not um, done one of those yet. Those will be for convictions and um as soon as we have the money, we have a lot of people on our waiting list right. uh, that will that will qualify. And we, we did some calculations to see how much cheaper it will be to get everyone off our waiting list now that we passed that law. Um, I think is. you have those numbers. I do have those numbers, and it is cheaper. With that, that didn't that wasn't just a uh, an esoteric exercise. That law will help Just City get more people expunged very directly. The calculations that you did make that very clear, and mm-hmm. and we will have. Um, that waiting list cleared off soon, sadly, not before you're you're out of here. And speaking no. of, where are you going, Chelsea? I'm going to Duke University School of Law in August. That's fancy. Yeah. They have very fancy buildings at Duke. Yeah. <laughs> not quite as fancy as the OAM Network Podcast Studios or just City World Headquarters. How will you adjust? Or what, are you, <laughs> what are you afraid of uh, besides the fancy buildings, if you're afraid of those? Um, oh, just the lovely reputation that the first year of law school has <laughs> certainly enough to put anyone, um, you know, on the edge of their nerves. So I'm just mentally preparing for all the hard work that that's going to be. Yeah. Well, what about, uh, the experience at just city, uh, has changed your plans after law school, during law school? Has it, has it, a and the public defender's office, it's unfair to leave that experience out too. But what about your time in Memphis? Cause we, sh- we should say you're not a native Memphian and mm-hmm. you uh, have only lived here for about a year and never before, right? Yeah, that's right. So your time in Memphis, um, what has it meant for your future plans? I would say I'm definitely more open to pursuing a career in criminal justice field, I have always known that I wanted to do public interest work, uh, but I wasn't quite sure um, whether it would be civil legal aid or environmental law um, or criminal law. And I think the experience of being in the public defender's office and just the passion that um, so many of those attorneys bring to their overwhelming workload um, has been inspiring for me. and the nonprofit work that we do here at Just City has also been a new experience for me um, as in a way that I you know, might – a path I might go down in the future um, in terms of advocacy and changing the systems that the, all these laws yeah. operate in. And did you ever imagine that before this experience or, or maybe did you imagine that four years ago when you were an undergrad? Is that what you had in mind? Oh, definitely not. When yeah. I started undergrad, I – I, f- I think I firmly believed I was going to go into environmental law, um, but not knowing, you know, a lot of what that meant. And I think really I've boiled down my passion to poverty and whether that's the criminal justice system that is uh, trapping people in poverty or environmental um, issues which disproportionately affect people in poverty. 
I definitely want to explore both of those routes yeah. in law school. Um, but I, yeah, I'm so appreciative for the experience that I've had in Memphis. That's exciting. I'm glad that we didn't damage you forever. <laughs> so future Chelsea gets out of law school and decides not to go make a million dollars as a Duke law school graduate. And she comes back to Tennessee where she is a preeminent expert in expungement law. <laughs> what would you change? How would you um, do it differently in the state of Tennessee if you could wave a magic wand and make expungement different? What are some of the things you would do? I think the the biggest, um, most overarching change that I would love to see is if we had automatic expungements after a certain period of time um, and immediately for non-convictions. Something your native Pennsylvania, by the way, leads the nation. Yeah. So I've read, I've learned more about where I came from since being (laughs) down here. Um, Automatic expungement. Yeah. Automatic expungements. Um, People often don't even think about things that are 10, 20, 30 years old still being even on their records. And it, they might not even know that's why they didn't get the right. job. These are misdemeanors. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So people think of them as relatively minor right. um, and might not realize that's what's holding them back in the eyes of, you know, employers. Yeah, And there's, uh, for lack of a better word, an urban myth that I hear all the time. Mm-hmm. People tell me, oh, it was been more than 10 years ago. It falls off in 10 years. Do you hear that? Yeah, I do. And I think it should. It, right. And, but it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I think it should, too. I think that's a good, uh, good line of demarcation. Yeah, I would love to see something more overarching like that than, you know, let's put this offense on our list of eligible and ineligible or let's let people get one more expungement. But I think something more overarching would streamline things from, you know, from organizations like ours that are trying to help people from the court clerk's office. Um, It would just make everything um, simpler and be a built-in second chance for people to right. get started. Yeah, I like that a built-in second chance. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. We may we may use that for the campaign for automatic expungement. So, maybe one or two last questions when you leave here very soon, sadly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will take someone with you. And when you came here that 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 thing was not a part of your life and that of course is Whiskey the Justice Cat. Yes. Who I have met and who has frequented Just City World headquarters. Tell us about Whiskey and why are you taking him with her? Yeah. Her. Why are you taking whiskey with you? Well, we adopted her here. Um, and that's why she's named Whiskey, Tennessee Whiskey. Ah, um, I see. Yeah. She's. I wasn't going to ask. <laughs> um, well, as you said, we had other people. <laughs> I don't know if this is as serious of a question as you're treating it, but I appreciate it. <laughs> we had three of us in our program who were all going different ways at the end, and we had to decide up front to be responsible pet adopters right. what the plan after this year was going to be so you. i i knew that i was planning to go to law school i didn't know where but i knew i would be able to have an apartment and take a cat so, so you and whiskey are off to north carolina yes wow well i for one can't thank you enough for all that you've done for just city and for the community and i'm so uh, i remember well over a year ago now interviewing you via Google Hangouts and you were a disembodied head on the wall of Just City and we interviewed (laughs) you and uh, then you showed up and and it's been really amazing and so thank you very very much for everything you've done to help Just City and the Clean Slate Fund and the people of Memphis. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. (laughs) 
That was Just City's Clean Slate Fund associate and City of Soul fellow, Chelsea Capus, in conversation and on the permanent record. My thanks to Chelsea, not only for her time on the podcast, but also for the many hundreds of phone calls, emails, and other inquiries she has fielded over the last year. There's little doubt in my mind that Chelsea is responsible for more expungements than anyone in Memphis. Just City and the Memphis community owe her a huge debt of gratitude. Special thanks to Jeff Hewlett for She Got Gone, original theme music for the permanent record. You can see Jeff in his project, Me and Leah, Friday night at America Photo for a CD release show. That's June 23rd at America Photo. Jeff Hewlett, writer and performer of original permanent record music, She Got Gone. And as usual, thanks to Gilworth and the OAM Network, our podcast network of choice. Join Gil and me and plenty of other people at Memphis Made Brewing this Thursday night for the OAM Network's podcast fundraiser. We're going to do a live show along with some of our sister podcasts on the OAM Network. You can find out more on the OAM Network's Facebook page and visit them at theoamnetwork.com where you can find our podcast and many others. I'm Josh Spickler, and this is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work at justcity.org. You can get a t-shirt there, and this week only if you use the code TPR for The Permanent Record. Use code TPR to get a $5 discount on your t-shirt at justcity.org. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at justcity 901 Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating. Leave us a review. It helps us build our audience. It helps the OAM network. In a just city, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both. <laughs>